Hey everybody, uh, I want to thank everyone for being here. If you're new, we're so glad you decided to spend your night with us. Like Corey said and Chloe said, my name is Wyatt, and uh, I'm very grateful to, to be able to be up here and to share what God has taught me uh, through his word the past couple weeks. Um, and my hope and challenge tonight is that through this study, all of you are edified and encouraged uh, through God's word tonight. And so if you would, uh, and you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. What I want us to consider this evening is what we consider to be our perspective on our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. And so I titled this message, The Proper Perspective on the Christian Life, because I believe that the Apostle Paul, immediately after his conversion, had the correct perspective and mindset on what the Christian life should look like. And he not only had the proper perspective, but actually lived it out. And so our interpretation of how our lives should be lived out as believers in Christ should not come from our hearts, which we know are wicked, our emotional state, which changes daily, not from what this world teaches, which is corrupt and led by the devil, or even from those closest to us whom we love, because even the best of us as believers in Christ fall short. But our perspective has to be directly sourced from the only words that we can trust with our lives, the very words of God in the very book that he's given to us. And so then, only then can we walk properly in such a way that pleases God and allows us to be fully equipped to live out his commandments. And so if you have Acts chapter 9 open, we're going to look at verses 19 through 23. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him. Uh, let's pray. Lord, uh, we desire tonight to just learn from your word and hear directly from it and, and just understand how we can directly apply it to our lives. We uh, pray and give you all the glory tonight, God, that you are uh, just glorified through our words and through our actions on a daily basis. And I pray, God, that everyone in here is edified and encouraged so that we can learn how to have our, our proper perspective on our lives so that we can learn to follow you with all of our heart. Um, we thank you uh, just for all that you've given us, God, all that you've blessed us with. Uh, we are unworthy, uh, but we are grateful nonetheless. So um, thank you, Lord, and it's your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So the very first thing we see that Paul had... And we've got to remember that Saul's name was later changed to Paul. But Paul had fellowship with the local believers. Paul had fellowship with the local believers. It says in verse 19, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So, it's important for us to understand that Paul, as a new believer in Christ, needed to see and experience what true disciples in Christ look like. This was a new worldview for Paul. His perspective was now shifted towards the things of Christ. He had never had fellowship with true believers before. He had only persecuted them. Remember, he was a Pharisee. But he was ready to get to work for Christ 
But first, he had to experience what this true fellowship looked like through the local body of believers. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. The word edify here means to build up. Paul was being built up and instructed by those already in the faith. This was the purpose of the fellowship he was having in Damascus. This shift from a passion of defending the law to a passion for building others up in Christ needed to be first displayed to Paul for him to be able to do that for others. It's Paul's first discipleship lesson. It's 2 Timothy 2.2, which we talk about all the time at First Baptist Church. And I believe, as the Bible plainly says, that the comfort and the edification of the local church is crucial for our success as believers. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews tells us that some may forsake or do away with the assembling of the church and the fellowship that local believers in Christ have. But we, as a body of believers, should always desire fellowship. We should always desire fellowship. And to exhort means to advise, warn, or encourage. That's our job, and we should be encouraging one another to continue in the fellowship that binds us together in and through Christ. Because as we know in 2021, uh, with the way COVID has infected and impacted so many of us in our lives and our loved ones, um, it is very easy for us to forsake physical fellowship. Our circumstances may change, but God's word is very plain. We need community and fellowship with one another. And just like Paul in his day, New believers especially need fellowship. They especially need fellowship. As new babes in Christ, they need the sincere milk of the word, and no believer will appropriately grow without guidance and encouragement from the fellowship of the local body. This is why we have one-on-one discipleship. This is why new believers can be taught and learn uh, through God's word by a more mature believer. This is why we have midweek life groups like the well. While we have any number of events to go to, it's to foster fellowship. It's to learn and grow with one another. And it's very easy for us to fall off and wander in the wilderness of this dying world all alone, no guidance, no accountability, and wonder why we have no spiritual growth, no godly friends, and no peace. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall... The one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. So through this study, this verse became one that I focused on a lot. Why are two better than one in the Christian life? Well, it's accountability. Accountability. It's one of the most difficult things to put into action. We as Christians say we want accountability all the time. But sadly, far too often, we see faithful believers run from those who simply desire to help and try to keep them accountable. Our pride gets in the way, and we miss the opportunity to respond properly to a brother or sister who simply desires to help and encourage us. And on the other hand, we should have the maturity and desire to keep our weaker brethren, even when it's difficult, and keep them accountable. Do not despise or look down on your weaker brothers and sisters in Christ because there is a good reward for our labor when we learn to keep them accountable, when we step out of our comfort zone and tell them what they need to hear. 
And that's exactly what Paul needed to hear. Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. The reward we get is that we gain our brother or sister back into the fellowship that God desires. We are able to lift them back up into a restored relationship. You know, think back to a time when someone had to keep you accountable. While it may have been difficult in the moment, it was worth the outcome when you responded properly, was it not? You got restored back into the fellowship of believers. And you gained a brother or sister in Christ. And I'm sure Paul had to have many of those conversations with his new brothers and sisters in Christ. He tried to imprison and kill them. Imagine befriending and having fellowship with your attempted murderer. Now that's a challenge. And yet we don't read, we don't read about the way they responded to him directly right away, but we will. That would have taken a great deal of humility for Paul to ask for forgiveness and reconciliation. And great maturity for the disciples to extend forgiveness and, and reconciliation to him. Galatians 6.2, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, it takes great humility to restore someone that has wronged you and keep them accountable, but we are supposed to bear one another's burdens because that fulfills what Christ wants for our lives. Do not miss that. Paul responded properly to the calling on his life right from the start, and he had people around him teaching him the importance of fellowship. When we see new believers, we need to make sure that they understand how and why it is so crucial for their growth. We do not want to miss these opportunities, believer. And if you are a new believer, get plugged into a Bible-believing church. Understand your role within that church, and do not miss the importance that it carries in your growth. Do not miss that. Paul understood that, and he immediately got plugged in. And because Paul got plugged in, he was given the ability to preach. And that's our next point. Paul preached. Verse 20, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. A few verses earlier, we see that Paul had been filled with the Spirit, he was committed to baptism, and he was in fellowship with the local body. Because of his obedience to professing Christ, getting baptized, and having fellowship, Paul was ready to preach the gospel properly. When you respond in faith, like Paul did, and you respond in obedience, you're more than prepared to preach the grace that saved you. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 3, or 2, 1, 1 through 3, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And then in 2 Corinthians eleven six, But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. If anyone has read their Bible, you'll know that Paul was not gifted in all things. While he may have been the greatest Christian who ever walked the earth, all Paul did was respond in faith to everything that God asked of him. He was not some gifted orator. He did not possess great excellency of speech or persuasion. But what he did have, and this is your next blank, he by faith preached with boldness. By faith preached with boldness. 
You do not need to be gifted to be bold. Acts 9, 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and now how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Paul claimed to know nothing but Christ crucified. And if there is one thing we want to be preaching correctly, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Do not mess that up. The souls of those around you are in the balance, right? You don't want to mess that up. And we know that Paul, being chief among the Pharisees and having great knowledge of the law, was obviously ignorant to the proper mysteries of Christianity until after his conversion, when Christ revealed them to the church. He had only been with the disciples a certain number of days, it says, and yet even though Paul was a babe in Christ, he preached boldly to those he was most familiar with. Paul had a proper understanding of the gospel. And think back to a time when you, were, when you surrendered your life to Christ. You probably didn't know much, but you knew one thing, that Christ saved you from your sins and that you had new life in him by grace through faith and not of yourself. That passion and perspective needs to remain in our lives. It needs to remain. Ephesians 6.19, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So that mystery is now revealed. Christ in us. How often do we open our mouths boldly to speak the gospel? I'm asking myself this question. And God has taught me a lot and convicted me a lot through this. I think our perspective often gets clouded. Our lives get filled with boldness for self and boldness for our rights, and so often we put the only real hope we have on a shelf, missing opportunity after opportunity until it's too late. Because Paul had the proper perspective for his life in regards to the gospel, he knew what a life of vanity was, and he knew what a life Christ had called for him moving forward. Do not forget the reason you show up to church. Do not forget the reason you show up to the well. It's because of what Christ has done in your life and what he can do for others when you, Christians, speak boldly for Christ. The next thing we see is that Paul spoke immediately. He spoke with boldness and he spoke immediately. John 4, 28 through 29, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? We don't have time to read the entire passage of John chapter 4. Uh, many of you are familiar with it. But we see the story of how Christ purposely makes his way through Samaria, the area where the Samaritans lived. And what we know through God's word and through history, is that Jews and Samaritans did not like each other, and they had no dealings with one another, as John 4 says. So for Jesus to go through Samaria, uh, Samaria was a strange thing. It was a strange thing. But like so many things Christ did, he did things for a purpose. Jesus tells her how he has the living water that will never make her thirst again. And she says, you know, she desires this, this water, but thinks it's physical water. You know, she never wants to be physically thirsty again. 
and he tells her plainly how she has five husbands and she believes that he's a prophet because she, she never mentioned this to him. Jesus just knows this about her. And he says that the hour will come when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth because God is a spirit, referencing the spiritual kingdom of God. And what does she do? We just read it, but what does she do? She immediately preaches Christ to her brethren. Immediately. Without a second thought, this woman had boldness. She had faith to realize that Christ had met her where she was. This outcast who was in sin. She had five husbands. And now she realized what could set her free from her bondage. And she wanted to share that with others. John 4, 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. While we may not always see the fruit of our labor when we preach, this woman's boldness allowed many others to have the living water that Christ referred to. What an opportunity. What an opportunity for this woman. She didn't know anything but what Christ offered to her. And Paul did the exact same thing. Christ miraculously met him where he was, in sin, ready to imprison and kill the very Christians who worship Christ. But with boldness, he immediately began preaching to his brethren in the synagogues. Paul saw what Christ had done in his life and knew he needed to share that with others around him. And you know what? Believers today need to realize that as well. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So this is something I have to ask myself often on why I don't preach the gospel to everyone I come in contact with. And I want you to ask yourself the same thing. Are we ashamed of our faith in Christ? Are we lazy? Are we fearful? I think it's a worthy question of self-reflection. Because if we believe it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes, not just those we like, not just those we're friends with, not just those we're comfortable around, then what is holding us back? Without that good news, rather than hiding the light we have, we should stand out for the gospel and remember the change in our own lives, just like Paul did. God has changed us. We're no better than anyone else. He not only immediately preached the gospel, but he continued to do so his entire life. And that's our third point. Paul was a changed man. Paul was a changed man. Verse 21, But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? What we see in verse 21 is the effect of Paul's testimony to all the people Paul was preaching to. Paul's translation from the kingdom of darkness to light, from the law to grace, from religion to relationship was such a shock that it amazed those who were hearing Paul preach, the very thing he was destroying days earlier. This is the power of God to everyone that believes, even to the worst of sinners. And Paul was one of the worst. Acts 9, 1 and 2, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Acts 26.10, Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, 
And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Galatians 1, 23 and 24. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. So what we see from these verses is that Paul obviously had a past. A past that matches the worst of them. One where he was staunchly against the church and the very things Christ died for. But even though Paul imprisoned and killed believers, God still used him in mighty ways. He was a changed man after meeting Christ on the road to Damascus. And Jesus did not turn his back on Paul. He went seeking after Paul and met him where he was at. He didn't ask Paul to clean up his life before salvation. And he had a plan for Paul's life, just like he has a plan for our lives as well. Even the worst of us are redeemable. Don't forget that. Do not think for one second your life is too messed up for God to care about your soul. And on another note, do not turn your back on those who need God, God's love the most. You may be the only light of Christ someone ever truly meets. Jesus commanded Ananias to be that light for Paul and to guide him to receive his sight after he was blinded on the road to Damascus, to have fellowship with him, and to be his first Christian friend after salvation. But if we read in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 9, Ananias was reluctant. He was reluctant. It says in verse 13 and 14, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. Ananias had a faith problem. He didn't believe that someone like Paul could actually change. He was afraid and he was fearful of what could happen if he went and did what Christ asked him to do. And far too often, we too are reluctant to trust God's word and see the change in others who have professed Christ. You know, it's uncomfortable to help new believers who may be a little rough. And sometimes it may get a little fearful, a little uncomfortable. It's not always fun. But who better to love and accept those people than the very church Christ set up to receive those no one else wants fellowship with? You know, they're outcasts for a reason. And God set up his church to have fellowship with them. And I think we often forget that we too had a past life before Christ and that we were no different than Paul. We were no different than Paul. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Paul displayed unmistakable change in his life from the very start. After salvation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to finally walk in the Spirit, and this changed life equipped Paul to amaze those around him, not in his own power, but through the power of Christ. Because Paul had been with Christ. And if you have been with Christ, then your life should reflect that. You have a testimony that can amaze those you come in contact with for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul changed through his meeting with Christ, and the next step he took was to mature in his walk with Christ, to mature. Paul matured as a believer. Verse 22, But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. 
To confound means to perplex, dismay, or to astonish. And that's exactly what Paul did as, his ti- as time went on in Damascus. Paul wasn't there for very long, but how did he do it? He increased in strength. He increased in strength. 1 Timothy 1.12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I attained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. 2 Timothy 4.17, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul was strengthened by Christ, and all the strength that Paul received was through Christ. Christ alone enabled Paul and put him into the ministry that he was called to. Paul acted in ignorance and thought he was serving God through his own actions through the law. Acts 9, 15, and 16 clearly shows us that Christ had a plan for Paul to bear his name to all people. And Paul knew that without Christ, he would not have been able to do anything of value or substance for the kingdom. And we need to understand that Christ desires to strengthen us through the power of his word, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of prayer through the local church. And we don't have time to study any of it out, but if you want to be strengthened and not falter in this walk of life, have the proper perspective on where your spiritual strength comes from. It begins with your relationship with Christ and the power we have through Him. 1 John 2.14 I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known Him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. If you want strength, Make sure the Word of God abides in you, not just as head knowledge. Understand that, the, that living out God's Word in your life will, will equip you properly. Just like 2 Timothy 3.16 and Psalm 119, 9-11 command it. Check those out. And if you want to properly overcome the wicked one, the devil in your life, allow the Word of God to abide in you. That's the only way we have strength to be enabled to overcome this life properly. It's the only way. So ask yourself, are you currently doing that? Do you have the Word of God in you and through you? Are you abiding? Are you actually doing it? Do you have a proper perspective on what it takes to increase in strength like Paul did? 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather, be, rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Allow the power of Christ to rest upon you. Understand your weaknesses, but don't dwell on them. And believe that Christ's grace is sufficient to strengthen you just as it did for Paul. You know, we all have struggles. We all have fears. But we cannot let them hinder us from God's will for our lives. This strength will allow you to mature spiritually in your walk with Christ, and it doesn't happen by accident. It will only happen by the work that you put in. And because Paul was able to increase in strength through Christ, he could actually prove out Christ in his own life. He could actually prove out Christ. And so, Paul was proving Christ to those around him. 
Acts 17.3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Acts 18.5, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Acts 28.23, and when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. Paul was strengthened by Christ, which enabled him to preach Christ properly. All throughout God's word, as, as we've seen, Paul preached Christ. Paul's entire life was now devoted to the very thing that saved him. He made it his mission to preach the gospel. And like I said before, if there's one thing we should make a priority and make sure that we get right, it's the gospel. Make sure that you're preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as the only gospel that will save us. Because the souls of men, as we know, are in our hands. And we will be held accountable for whether we were proving Christ or disproving Christ because of our actions. It's not just a suggestion, it's a commandment. 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You know, God desires to use what the world considers foolish and weak things to confound those who think they are wise by the world's standards. Not everyone we preach to will think we are wise. Not everyone we preach to will think that we're right. But the fruits of our labor are not in vain, and God's glory is ultimately what matters. As we mature spiritually in our relationship with Christ, you know, we begin to grow in grace and learn, learn more about God's word and how it applies to our lives moving forward. And that's all that matters. And, and so, since you have given your life to Christ, honestly, ask yourself, am I maturing spiritually? Or am I staying stagnant? The one allows us to be effective for Christ. The other leads us to carnality. And so we need to always be moving forward, one step at a time in our faith, always maturing in Christ. And when we do that, when we're effective for Christ and not hiding in, in, in carnality and in sin, we're persecuted. We are persecuted. Paul was persecuted. The last verse we see from our passage in 23 says, After that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Why? Why were the Jews trying to kill Paul? Because of verse 22, like we just read. Saul increased the more in strength. He confounded the Jews, proving that this is the very Christ. Paul lived up to this point the majority of his life as a Pharisee. And miraculously, after his conversion began, he began to mature in Christ. And, not, and shortly after his salvation, he was already being persecuted. Like, can you say that for your life? Like, after I got saved, I was persecuted immediately. And I know we all get saved at different points in our lives, some young, some old. We all have different walks of life. But what we need to understand is that when we wholly give ourselves over to the things of Christ, there will always be opposition. And the amount of opposition we come in contact with is solely based on our commitment 
to the commandments of God's word. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're not living godly in Christ, you probably won't see much persecution. And if you're not living out your faith as a doer of the word, you will not see persecution. If you're not willing to devote your life to the cause of the gospel like Paul, we probably won't see much persecution. And we know that persecution comes in many forms. And in Paul's case, it came in the form of disownment from his brethren and physical harm. And if you study out Acts, you'll see that any time you, you, you read the word counsel, they're always against God. And so these Jews have a council, and, and they're coming together to counsel about how they can kill Paul. And you can see that in many other places in God's word as well. But what we need to know is that the Jews either respond in repentance or anger any time the gospel is preached to them. And in this case, they were obviously infuriated that one of their own could confound them so easily. Because Paul had the Spirit in him. Maybe when you gave your life to Christ, you saw persecution from your friends or family. Maybe you've been through a lot of pain and difficulty because of your faith, because of your beliefs, because of your stance on Christ. And we need to understand that persecution and suffering is guaranteed to faithful believers. And I believe it only gets worse, and it's only going to get worse. You know, we have it pretty good in America. I know we hear this a lot, but we don't come in contact with a lot of persecution especially not physical persecution, physical harm or death, like so many in the past have suffered, like so many in other countries have suffered. Make sure you understand the difference between suffering and carnality in your own sin. Because if you're suffering for the wrong things, don't take that for granted and think you're suffering for God's word and, and for his commandments. Because I think that can happen as well. Paul had the wrong cause when he was living for the law out of ignorance. Make sure that whatever reason you're suffering for today is because you are living godly in Christ. And not because of your private perspective on the Christian life. Like, understand what God's word says and live it out. And if you suffer like the disciples did in Acts, you should praise God for it because you're doing something right. But if you're suffering for your own sin, don't, don't think that's a positive thing. Don't get excited about that. Understand what God's Word says about persecution. 2 Corinthians 11, 22-27, Paul says this, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. And labor is more abundant, and stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten, was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, 
and watchings often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness. Jesus Christ, or just as Christ explained earlier in chapter 9, Paul was going to experience great hardship and persecution immediately after salvation. You know, this is a long list comparable to the worst. But Paul always had the right perspective in the midst of suffering. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Why? Why did Paul have this perspective? He lived a pretty miserable life after salvation, physically. But he didn't complain. Paul wanted to be with Christ. He didn't want to suffer, but he knew he was doing something right, and he knew that he needed to preach the gospel no matter what. If, if we look just a couple verses down, we'll see why and what perspective Paul had. 2 Corinthians 4.11 for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Paul lived his life in such a way that Jesus would be made manifest in his life. What a testimony Paul had. This is why he was able to say boldly at the end of his life that he had fought a good fight, that he finished his course, and that he had kept the faith. Because even during the battle, even when it felt hopeless for him, even when Paul desired to be with the Lord, he had a proper perspective from the, be the very beginning of his new birth. And if we desire to have this proper perspective, then we should follow after Paul in his footsteps. You know, we can read these passages and we can see that Paul met Christ and immediately his life was different. We need to make sure we have proper fellowship with like-minded believers who are mature and can disciple us when we need it most after salvation. And if you're mature enough to disciple, then we need to make sure we're discipling those new believers. Understanding that after salvation, we may not know anything about God's word, but we do know that he saved us from our sin and he's worthy to be preached. Displaying the change we have openly and honestly with the world and not hiding behind the veil of our old man so that those we come in contact with can be amazed at what Christ has done in our lives so that they can see the change that Christ made. Maturing in the faith through the word of God we have today, walking in the spirit so that we can grow in grace that is sufficient for all things so that we can know how to properly answer every man. We're always moving forward. And lastly, when we have the proper perspective on the Christian life, you know, we learn to endure the persecution that is guaranteed to come our way when we live godly in Christ Jesus. These proper perspectives do not come naturally. They take work. They take discipline. They take an understanding of what God desires for each of our lives. Work that all believers are called to and all have free will to choose. And we, and we can decide each day when we wake up whether we're going to follow them or not. But we, we all want a testimony that Paul had at the end of his life, don't we? That we fought a good fight? That we did our best? 
I know it's easy to get caught up in what we have in America, the, the pleasures of life. I know it's easy for me. And to take advantage of our church, what we teach, how good we have it. But it's not like this everywhere. And so it's up to us to determine how we want to live. It's up to us to determine what our perspective is going to be. Is it going to be biblical or is it going to be worldly? Is it going to be the things of Christ or the things of the devil? So let's live a life that glorifies Christ for everything he's done for us because, you know, he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. Uh, Lord, we come to you tonight and once again, uh, I'm just so grateful for all that you've given me, God, all that you've blessed me with. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've taught me through this message. Uh, my prayer is that we all come to the understanding of a proper perspective like Paul had. And that we learn to live our lives glorifying you in all that we do, God. Because you are worthy of it all. Thank you for your word. Thank you for salvation, God. We are not worthy of any of it. Um, but regardless, we're thankful. And we want to live our lives and glorify you in everything we do, God. We love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.